Hi, and welcome to Straight Shot Radio. My name is Johnny Slick, and I'm the owner and head coach at Straight Shot Training. On today's episode, I want to share with you a method of how to teach yourself just about anything. This method of acquiring skills is a combination of concepts I was taught and others that I've found through trial and error of both teaching myself and coaching others for over a decade. I've used it to teach myself backflips, presses to handstand, ring movements, and other gymnastics elements, as well as Olympic lifting, juggling, slacklining, and as of this past week, skimboarding. Now, I won't call myself an expert at any of these movements, and the bruises and scrapes on my shins from the skimboarding confirm this, but I love the process of learning new skills. And while everyone learns differently, and each skill has its own unique set of challenges, this model has helped me both as an athlete and as a coach who teaches others how to move for a living. So hopefully you'll find some helpful tips along the way and can apply this model to learn something cool. Let me start first by giving credit to Dr. Mike Jacobs from Shepherd University. So Dr. Jacobs developed something called the Shepherd College Teaching Model, and he taught it to myself and many others in a course called Perceptions of Motor Learning. Now, he was passionate about his teaching strategy, and he used it to teach himself everything from sailing to recovering his abilities after suffering a stroke. So, while I started teaching myself various skills as a child, this model got me thinking more about the process of learning a new skill and everything behind that. And along with many other coaches and trainers I've worked with over the years, it all gave me inspiration to create a model of my own. So, without further ado, here is my model of skill acquisition. Step 1. Do you know what the entire movement looks like? As simple as it sounds, you have to have seen the movement and have a basic understanding of it before you can do it. So this is where visualization is key. Imagine yourself performing whatever it is that you're trying to learn from a third-person view. So if it's a box jump, and look at yourself from the side, close your eyes, look at yourself, can you see yourself jumping up and onto this box? If it is a kettlebell snatch, can you see yourself from a third person view, swinging the kettlebell through the legs, pulling it up, punching through the top and landing with the kettlebell up at the top of the position with a straight arm? So obviously if you've never seen a kettlebell snatch, just me describing it, doesn't quite do it. You have to really see it. This is why YouTube is awesome because now it's easier to figure out how to do things because you can see other people do it. And this is why I always demonstrate movements for my classes since before I break it down, they have to see what we're working towards. So this is deadlifts and kettlebell swings and squats and things that people are used to hearing and maybe used to seeing, they still need to see it again before they can learn it. So this past week, I tried skimboarding. My family went to the beach. It was actually our first beach trip with our son, which was awesome. And so we were out on the beach really for only about two days because the weather wasn't great. So I wanted to skimboard because the beach house that we were staying at had a skimboard. I thought, hey, I can try learning this. I've skateboarded for a really long time. I should be able to get this. So I took the skimboard out the first day, got onto the surf, and thought this would be just like skateboarding. And it wasn't. So I wasn't having a lot of luck because I just took this board out there and was, you know, pitching out into the water, running and trying to jump on it. And I wasn't really getting it. And it was because I wasn't doing it correctly because it was different than something I had done before. I needed to see somebody actually do this before I could figure out what it is I even needed to start with to try to not keep falling. So that night, the first night after I tried it, I watched a YouTube video of a guy skimboarding and I was able to see what I needed to do differently because the skill looked different than the way I had pictured myself doing it. So in my mind, 
I was like, oh, I'm going to throw it and run in and run behind it and jump on. So after watching it that night, the next day, when I had an idea of what I was supposed to do, I had much better, much better time with my learning attempts. Obviously, I kept falling a lot, and uh, my foot is covered in scrapes from the board hitting it because you don't learn how to skimboard in two days. But I had a better time learning because I had a frame of reference. I had seen what the movement was supposed to look like. Imitation is also how I taught myself how to play drums. So after just, a, I'd had about a year of lessons, and after that year of lessons, I would just sit beside the radio and play along with everything I was hearing. Then I joined bands, and those bands had previous drummers, and so I would listen to those drummers' parts, and I would play the parts that they wrote at shows. And I also played in church, where I would memorize the drummers' parts, and then play it on stage on Sunday mornings. Or I would listen to a CD of them playing something, and then try to memorize it, because I had to have some type of frame of reference. This was an auditory frame of reference, but uh, now that YouTube is around, it's even easier because I can see somebody else doing it. So before long, I was able to make up my own parts because I had the basic framework down. That was 19 years ago. So I've been playing drums for 19 years, but still, when I want to learn a new song when I'm drumming for church, I'll listen to it and watch a video of the drummer doing it before we practice, and then repeat it, but adding my own style to it. So this style of learning... Uh, both visual or auditory of style of imitation is not specific to movement. Uh, and so this model is not specific just to movement skills. Some of the things are kind of specific to them, but the entire model itself can be applied to just about anything that you want to try to learn. So to summarize this first step, if you want to learn a skill, make sure you watch someone perform it correctly and then visualize yourself with the same form to gain an understanding of what you need to do. Step two is, can you break it down into steps, understand each step, and start at the very beginning? So we call these progressions. You need to figure out the most basic components of a movement and start there, regardless of if you think you are ready for further skills. So I'll explain this more later about why it's important to start at the very beginning, even if you don't think you need to. But for now, just remember, it's important to make sure you fully understand and have competency at each point throughout the skill. So if you break it down into steps, you need to be able to do each little step along the way. So we'll use skimboarding for the example. I knew after watching a video and after uh, trying several times that I had to run, throw the board, run alongside of it, jump on the board with both feet, and then bend my knees and balance. But I had to make sure that I knew the direction I was running, when to drop the board, how fast to run beside it, when to jump on, and how to stay on. So each step of that, even though it was all kind of one thing happening really quickly, I had to break it down to each step. Same thing with the backflip. I would have to set, bend down, jump up, hit full hip extension, get as high as I could in the air, then bring my knees quickly to my chest, tuck my knees, and then my whole body lean back. And then right as I turn over in the backflip, when as soon as I see the ground again, I untuck so I can land straight on my feet. So you have to be able to break it down into steps and understand each step. Each progression should start with you having full control of the skill along the way. And then as the progressions go on, mm -hmm. each one should be slightly harder than the last, all while still resembling the final skill. So each skill is different and may take months to even years of progressions. But the key here is patience. We talked about this in our last podcast episode. 
you have the rest of your life to be a learner. So take your time, learn it correctly, and you'll have less wasted time down the road when you try progressions that you flat out can't do. This was something I found out whenever I was learning press to handstand. So press to handstand, you're putting your hands down on the floor and then you shift your weight to your hands, slowly pick up your feet kind of out to the side. If it's straddle press or if it's pipe press, your feet are together and they come up, but your hands are there. You don't jump into a handstand. Your hands are there. You pick your legs up and you slowly bring them up into a full handstand. I was jumping progressions because I thought, oh, well, I can do a, pretty, I do a pretty good handstand. I can do handstand push-ups. I can just skip straight to progression eight instead of starting at one. I realized along the way that I skipped certain progressions that taught me better balance, that taught me uh, when to start to untuck or unfold into the handstand. I also missed out on the flexibility things I was needing to be working on. So I had to go back and start again at the very basics of progressions and things that I thought, man, it's too easy for me. And then gradually build my way up so that by the time I got to the progression I was stuck on, I had already built that that framework, that groundwork that I needed to so that I didn't get stuck. Once I got to that progression that I was previously stuck at, I was able to learn that and then move on to the next step of it. So you have to break it down into steps. You have to start at the beginning. You need to understand each step along the way. Step three, do you have a frame of reference or a mental bank of experiences to compare the task to? So this isn't always as obvious as it seems. I was able to compare skimboarding to skateboarding even backflips to box jumps, but sometimes you have to get creative. So being a drummer, that's how I learned jump rope double unders. So the rope passing under your feet twice while you're in the air. I was able to compare the movement of my wrists moving quickly with the rope to drumming. So sometimes as coaches, we get creative with little things to try to help people understand movements that they've never done or never seen before until we show it to them. And then we're trying to, to help give them cues. And cues are sometimes... kind of weird. People always wonder, well, why would you say things like that? Some cues just work for certain people because you have to have some type of frame of reference. So we compare things to a lot of different random things because different stuff works for different people. One of my favorite comparisons is likening the pull on a kettlebell or dumbbell snatch to zipping up a jacket. If you've ever been in my class, everybody always says zip up the jacket. So this is whenever you're pulling the dumbbell or the kettlebell up uh, getting ready to come above your head for the turnover and the snatch. So just imagine it's a big jacket. You just need to zip the jacket up. So, so for some people, that works really well. Other people want to have to come up with different cues, but that's been one that I use a lot because people seem to get it because everybody's zipped up a jacket before. So I also learned better handstand alignment by just standing up straight. So this is a very uh, kind of obvious one that you may not think because when you're handstand, you're standing upside down on your hands, whereas if you're standing normal, you're standing on your feet straight up. But in order to get the alignment of your body correct in a handstand, you have to know what proper posture is standing up. So with my arms overhead, I tucked my butt under, I squeezed my abs tight, I reached up and pulled back with my arms, and I made a mental note of what this felt like. And then I just inverted the whole thing. And that's how I really learned how to drill my handstand line, was just understanding better posture and turning it upside down. So even if you've never done anything similar to this skill, try to find some semblance of common ground to help you better understand what you're trying to do. Step four, do you have the mechanical ability to perform further progressions? So this is the big one. Can you do it? Some skills require a physiological adaptation to occur before you progress. So this means a change in your body. You might have to wait for your body to adapt. 
by getting stronger or more powerful or faster, more flexible. Some things you can't just practice and the next day they get better. Some things takes time. Some things take time and this varies from skill to skill and thus changes the time it's going to take to learn certain skills. So straddle and pike press to handstands took me a while because of the strength and flexibility required to perform these skills don't just happen. Just because I knew what the skill looked like and I knew what I needed to do in order to complete it, I had to wait for these changes to happen. I had to get stronger and had to get more flexible and those don't just happen overnight. So again, patience. You have to be patient for a lot of these things to happen. Things like double unders, most people just need to move their hands faster. That's not something that you have to wait for an adaptation to occur. You just have to practice with it, which again, won't happen over. And sometimes it'll happen. People just get it immediately. Other times it takes time. A lot of that is just getting their brains to coordinate with their hands, what they're doing. And that doesn't necessarily have to take a long time. Like certain things, if you want a 400 pound back squat and your current squat is 135, it's going to take you some time to get there. Even though you know what a 400 pound squat looks like, you're not gonna be able to apply that force because you have to learn to get stronger or gain some muscle mass. So be patient, it doesn't always happen overnight. Step five, can you tell if you are doing it right or wrong? And if you're doing it wrong, do you know how to fix it? This is a big one. I spent a lot of time early on in my CrossFit days performing handstands and Olympic lifts incorrectly. Now I didn't know I was doing anything wrong because I was accomplishing the end goal. I was in a handstand or I did a clean and jerk or I did a snatch, but I wasn't very proficient with the skills as a whole. And I could hold a handstand, but not for super long. I could snatch and clean and jerk, but not super heavy. So once I was aware of what I was doing wrong by listening to coaches and other athletes and videotaping it and comparing my form to other videos, I set out to fix it. Now, one of the toughest things as a coach is correcting someone when they don't think or don't know something is wrong. So for this step, you really need to be honest with yourself and listen to your coach and other athletes provided they can demonstrate the skill better than you, even if it's at lighter weights. This is where I really stress on my coaches and personal trainers that I teach in my personal training prep course at the local community college is that you don't have to be the strongest trainer. You should be strong, but you're going to have clients who are stronger than you, but you have to be able to demonstrate all the skills. Now, this is tricky whenever you become like a gymnastics instructor and maybe you can't do a lot of these skills anymore. It gets really hard because you're trying to teach younger, fitter athletes certain skills that you can no longer perform. You're providing on just what you're saying. You can't demonstrate it. But as personal trainers, everything in the gym, we should be able to perform these movements with great skill, provided we don't have some type of injury or something that limits us from being able to perform these things. We should be able to demonstrate these because then if someone is doing something incorrectly, we're able to show it to them and they can see us doing it and then try to imitate that. that. So that kind of goes back to that first step. But you have to understand, you have to get your clients to understand, and if you're an athlete, you have to understand yourself if you're doing something wrong. Because if you don't know you're doing something wrong, you're not gonna be able to fix it because you're not gonna know that anything is incorrect. That's why one of my favorite things when I'm teaching a class is when somebody does something and they say, no, that wasn't it, or that sucked. Like they say it to themselves. When they can finally get it that 
this is a wrong way of doing it, this is a right way of doing it. Then they know what they need to dial in. So if they can tell that the bar is going too far away from their body on a clean, they'll go, oh man, that was way too far away from me. I need to keep it closer to my body. And I say, well, what do you need to do to keep it closer to your body? Well, I probably need to shrug my shoulders up more, get more hip extension, and keep my elbows up and back as I pull the bar up my chest. Yes, that's it. You got it. So it actually makes it so that we are helping them coach themselves, which is the ultimate goal of me as a trainer is I want you to learn how to teach yourself things. I shouldn't have to teach you how to do everything all the time because if I if I was doing that, I wouldn't actually be correctly coaching you. I want to help you develop universal skills that you can learn just about anything, which is why I'm sharing this model with you. So as a coach, if you can teach yourself something, that really is is self-fulfilling for me because that means that I taught you correctly because now you can understand if you're doing it right or if you're doing it wrong, and if you're doing it wrong, how to fix it. So step six, moving on, is are you practicing to succeed or learning to fail? So failure always happens when you're first learning a skill, unless you get really lucky on certain things, but it's almost always going to happen. But failure should not be the majority of your attempts at lower progressions. This is why we have progressions. You don't want to ingrain a neuromuscular pattern of failing a movement. So this is learning how to fail. If you kept kicking up into a handstand and kept falling, kept kicking up, kept falling, kept kicking up, kept falling, I would say, hey, buddy, let's take this handstand over to a wall because you need to figure out what a handstand feels like before you kick up to it. You, you skip too far in your progressions here. You are learning how to kick up and how to fall. You are practicing to fail. Now, some skills require you to keep failing until you get it. So this is the difference between snatches and double-unders. We'll just use those two as an example. With snatches, you want to perform the movement with a PVC pipe or just an empty barbell long before you add any weight because you don't want to fail any reps. You shouldn't be failing a snatch with a PVC pipe. You shouldn't have compromises in your form unless it's a mobility issue that you're working on. You should not have a comp compromise in your form with zero weight. You want to learn Olympic lifts and most lifts in the gym. You want to learn at very, very light weights so you have your form perfect before you go and add any weight because as soon as you add weight to a faulty movement pattern, you are now building a, it's like building a foundation on top of wet sand that's being washed out by the ocean. You're just going to have everything crumble if you are setting yourself up for failure by learning to fail. Now, double-unders are a different story. There's not too many ways to break them down. You still need to jump and move your hands faster. You can do this and fail at it over and over and over again and then get it and then fail and fail and fail and fail and then get it again. Most, that's the way most people learn double-unders is you have to fail over and over and over again. And you will figure out what to do correctly once you get it, but there's no way to to bridge that gap between not doing it and doing it with certain skills. So double-unders are, are a little bit different. Most skills are not like that, uh, but some skills you just have to keep trying until you get it. Again, patience and also being a little bit stubborn. Don't get frustrated. If it's a skill you're supposed to fail, just understand, keep failing. You're going to get it if you keep working on it. Step seven, once you succeed, can you repeat the movement consistently? Now this comes from my days of doing parkour. I started doing free running whenever I was like 16, 17. And I did it into the first couple years of college and I still enjoy doing it here and there, uh, just not 
is in high risk of situations as I used to. I'm a little smarter about it than I used to be with it. But I remember listening to a free runner say once that it's not enough to say, I got over that wall. You have to be able to do it consistently. So I say this all the time now when it comes to weight training. You have to be able to perform the movement with perfect form over and over before going heavy. With skill acquisition, lucky and unlucky attempts, good and bad days, and outside influencers are going to make it tricky to be consistent sometimes. But until you are consistent, regardless of the situation, you should not move on to another progression. You shouldn't add weight to the bar, etc. So this past week on the beach, once I got the hang of running, dropping the skimboard into the water as it was moving, running beside it, and jumping on and staying on, occasionally a wave would hit, or I wouldn't be running fast enough, or I would land funky on the board and I'd fall off. Now, a proficient skimboarder wouldn't be phased by any of these minor deviations from perfect conditions, but since I'm a beginner, this is the progression I need to stay on before I ever think about trying to get beyond the shore on the board out into the waves or before I try any tricks. I need to be confident that every time I throw that board, run and jump on, I'm going to stay on it. And this is the same with Olympic lifting. Uh, you need to be confident that your form is correct, that you're not failing and dropping the bar in front of you or behind you or landing weird on your toes when you're trying to get down in the squat, anything like that. You should not be concerned about those there's problems happening in your lift if you actually have the lift at that weight. I, this is another mistake I made whenever I was, was doing Olympic lifting early on was I would fail at a weight and then in my warm-ups and then just put more weight on it. I'll, I'll get it on the next set. Well, no, because even though I was warming up for uh, my max back then was, was 200 pounds on snatch. So even though I was working towards 200, if I was failing at a 145-pound snatch, I really should have like made sure I had that before I moved on to 165, 185, 195, and attempting 200. And this is why I stalled a lot with my training was because even though I was succeeding at the movements, I, I thought I quote-unquote had it, I wasn't as consistent as I should have been with it. So this is where people get, get a little hasty. They want to move on to the next skill as soon as they get it without the consistency portion. So don't judge where you're at with learning a skill by where you're able to accomplish the progression. You have to do it consistently. This is also the step where I stress the importance of quality and volume. So quality and quantity in your practice. You have to practice repeatedly to learn most skills. That kind of goes without saying. I, I feel like maybe I need to add like a, a 7.5 in this, these steps that I have here of you have to practice a lot. You have to practice correctly. You have to practice consistently. And you have to practice often. Step eight, can you progress or regress the final skill? So once you've mastered a progression by being able to repeat it consistently without thinking, can you add difficulty to it? So even if you've learned the final skill, you wanted to learn how to do a backflip, once you learn a standing back tuck, can you add difficulty to it? So if you're struggling or needing extra work, let's say you have the backflip, but your land is a little sloppy, can you regress the movement? So go backwards in those progressions to relearn that movement pattern. Now, adding difficulty is the true test of whether or not you have a skill. Once I learned backflips, I started doing them outside. So going from a soft surface to a hard surface. I started doing wall flips. I So running up a wall, doing a backflip. 
I learned uh, cheat ganders, which is where you take a step and swing your one leg, you're, so you're running kind of forward while doing a backflip backwards. And then I tried to get much higher with my backflips. And I tried to just, in a gym, do whatever crazy variation I could to try to make them more difficult. And I did the same thing once I learned handstands. I Once I had handstands, I learned freestanding parallel handstand push-ups. So these are two parallel bars, balancing in a handstand, going all the way down to my shoulders or even with the bar and pushing back up with balance. Uh, I learned presses to handstand and learned handstand walks. Now slacklining took me a while to learn and I'm still not great at it. I can do some basic tricks on it. I can do some flips and stuff off of it. Uh, jumping on it, I'm still having some trouble with. So uh, with that one, I was able to add some difficulty to it while still learning uh, a lot of the basic skills with it. And now that I have double unders with a jump rope, I often practice triple unders. So I'm adding some difficulty to it. All of that being said, I still work the progressions of each of those movements to make sure I still keep my skills sharp and I'm always practicing good patterns. So I still work on jumping drills. I don't just do backflips for my plyometric work for, for my legs. I do lots of jumping drills. I still do handstands up against a wall for balance to really drill the, the handstand line and where I'm supposed to feel it. I still do lots of jump rope single unders. And I do this with every skill I've learned, not just for my own good, but here's where the coaching aspect comes into it. I feel like it helps make me a better coach because... I'm able to to really uh, hone in on those those lower level skills of each of these progressions, so that anytime I demonstrate it to a client, it can look effortless. Because uh, I want this to look easy. This is my passion is coaching others. If I was making it look difficult and I was getting frustrated while trying to teach somebody, it, they probably wouldn't want to learn it. I want to make things look easy, so that when you see me do it, you say to yourself, "Oh, I can see myself doing that. That looks pretty easy." And and some things. Um, are, are easier for other people to learn, um, but it's my job as a coach to make everything kind of look easy for you. So can you progress or regress that final skill? Some people don't want to move on. They want to say had the final skill, you can stop there. But if you've really mastered it, go ahead and try to add some difficulty because it just continues that, that passion for learning and can help make that, if you think that your final skill is a box jump, and then you learn how to do a single leg box jump. Then when you go back to box jumps, you're like, oh man, these are much easier. And I didn't realize that I was really only pushing off my one leg. Now that I know how to push off of each leg independently, when I put them together, I can jump on a much higher box. So progressions can help you beyond what you think your goal movement is, but also regressions can help you really hone in on that skill. So people with doing box jumps, just having them do vertical jumps, they realize oh, my box jumps, I'm really just jumping and pulling my knees up and laying on the box. I'm not actually getting up in the air when I take a step back and just working on jumping up. Now I see what I need to do. Okay, now my box jumps are easier. So progression and regression is good for everyone, no matter where you're at with your skill. Step nine, can you teach the movement to others? This is the true test of knowing anything, really. If you actually have and know a skill, you should be able to teach it, even if you aren't the world's best communicator or the world's best coach. I've found skills that I knew I had trouble coaching. So when I stepped back and tried to figure out how I could better teach these skills, I realized I needed to go back and go through all of the progressions again. So I did this with handstands a while back. I've done it with Olympic lifts. I've taken a huge step backwards to relearn movements to make me a better athlete and I feel make me a better coach at certain things. 
I realized that I'd skipped some important progressions along the way. So upon relearning these movements, I became better at the movements and I was better able to teach other people. If you really know something, you should be able to teach it to somebody else. Because if you can't explain how you're doing something or why you're doing something, I would question whether or not you really know what you're doing with it. So it's, it's very eye-opening. If you go to teach somebody something, you really find out how well do you know that skill and how well do you have that skill. And once you learn something, I highly suggest you teach the basic progressions of it to your friends and family to start out. So just because you learned a backflip and you were pretty athletic and you can pick up skills very quickly doesn't mean you need to go out and teach everyone in your family how to do backflips. But what you can do, teach people how to jump and land. That's a really good skill to have. A lot of people could benefit being able to land correctly out of a jump, even a jump of three inches, learning how to land with your toes straight forward, with your arches supported, with your knees bent, hips bent, jumping and landing mechanics. Teach it to people. And it's very rewarding to you and also, you're going to find out how well you actually know the movement, and it's going to make you want to practice that movement and get better at it every day. So that's my model of skill acquisition. If you want the too long, didn't read version, step one, do you know what the entire movement looks like? Step two, can you break it down into steps, understand each step, and start at the very beginning? Step three, do you have a frame of reference or mental bank of experiences to compare the task to? Step four, do you have the mechanical ability to perform further progressions? Step five, can you tell if you're doing it right or wrong? Do you know how to fix it if you are doing it wrong? Step six, are you practicing to succeed or learning to fail? Step seven, once you succeed, can you repeat the movement consistently? Step eight, can you progress or regress the final skill? And finally, step nine, can you teach it to others? Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you're able to take this model and apply it to learn something awesome. If you have a second to leave us a rating on iTunes, that would be incredible. And if you would like to learn more about what we do here at Straight Shot, you can check us out at straightshottraining.com or by using the handle at straightshottraining on social media. Have a great week, everybody.